like to ask the rest of you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 17. Um, this is Thanksgiving week, right? All right, so it's a week to give thanks. Well, every day is a day to give thanks, but this is the week we especially set aside, and uh, I'm kind of uh, betwixt and between. Normally, we're working on some kind of series or another, but I'm going to be uh, beginning a special um, Advent series around the theme of light beginning in December, and uh, we're going to be looking at the coming of the light, and then in the first part of the year, we're going to be looking at the light in us. And then through us as we move toward our mission conference early in February. And so we're going to get to spend about ten weeks or so uh, just uh, contemplating the meaning of light. Fascinating study in the scripture. But I thought I would uh, take this morning kind of like it's sort of an intermission between these uh, sections we've been working on. And just meditate for a bit on thankfulness and being thankful. And um, I was thinking this morning, there's, there's a difference between the preacher and the pastor when it comes to exhorting in the Word. The preacher is called to expound the Scriptures with meaning and uh, declare the meaning of Scripture to whatever audience happens to be listening as a proclaimer, a pastor has the added responsibility of making it specifically applicable to a particular congregation, one that he knows and understands. And as I think about the subject of thankfulness this morning, and I'm going to be exhorting us to take the Word of God seriously here and to give thanks it's really not an option when you consider the Scriptures. Um, I realize that I'm speaking to an audience that uh, many of you have been through some deep water. And uh, some of you are still swimming in the flood. And you feel a bit overwhelmed. And life has been difficult. And you're faced with challenges. And some are sorrowing still uh, in the raw edge of grief. And there are uh, those kinds of life issues that are not pleasant. It's hard to be in any way trivial about the subject of thanksgiving when I know that many of you are challenged by some of life's pressures. So I want to say to you that I am I'm not bringing a trivial word like, oh, by the way, and say thank you once in a while. But I want to bring to you a word from the Lord about the nature of having a heart and, a, and an attitude of gratitude. I started a word study this week. I started by looking up the word thankful. I got an interesting surprise. It only occurs one time in the Scripture it's in this passage, Colossians 3.15. It's the only place in the Bible that form of the word occurs. And be thankful. 
So I decided that I had to expand that a bit. So I looked up thank and thanks and thanksgiving and all of the kinds of things that are associated with it. And there are quite a few more. But this passage in Colossians seems to be a focal passage because there's three verses here in a row that all end with the admonition to be thankful or in some way to be giving thanks. And the context is also interesting. Uh, Thanksgiving is often a time for families. And, and you know, I don't know uh, what your families do for Thanksgiving or special holidays, but growing up, um, I know uh, our family, typically uh, my mother's mother, who just lived an hour to the south, um, we all congregated there, the three daughters, my mother being one of the three, and the eight grandsons, and uh, some other relatives might be collected, and we would have a Thanksgiving feast, and it was, you know, it's a time for family. But in the Scripture, as we consider what happens in the transformation of a life when we come to faith in Christ, we realize that in truth, believers have more in common who are bound through the blood of Jesus Christ than natural families that may not all be connected through Christ. Really and truly, when we come to Christ, the body of Christ, as it's locally expressed in a, in a local assembly or congregation, becomes more family than family. Because as Paul put it, and he wasn't in any way trying to be mean, but he said, what fellowship has light with darkness? And you love your family if, if they're outside of Christ. I had the privilege actually of growing up in a Christian family, so when we had our gatherings, we were kind of all on the same page. But maybe yours is not that way. And if you love your family, and you should, but they're outside of Christ, you know it's tough to really get deep in conversation because it isn't long before you reach those impasses where they just don't get it. And yet the body of Christ is different in that respect. The body of Christ is a place where we come and we get it. At least we're supposed to. We're all on the same page, so to speak. And Paul's writing to the body. And as he comes to chapter 3 in Colossians, and we were here not too long ago this past year, you come to chapter 3, and he turns to his typical exhortation. He's laid the foundation of his letter in the first couple of chapters. Now he's applying it. And he says in verse 1, If you are in Christ, keep seeking those things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not the things on the earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God and then he talks about mortifying or putting to death certain kinds of attitudes and behaviors. And then uh, verse 12 is where I want to pick up the thread reading, Colossians 3.12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy <clears throat> and beloved, <clears throat> put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, <clears throat> which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you richly dwell within you with all Singing with thankful Christ. The encouragement of being thankful. And all basing it on a little different nuance of foundation that we have as members of the body of Christ. So he says, first of all, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why the peace of Christ? And how does that connect with thankfulness? Well, what is peace to begin with? Sometimes when we try to define a word, we define it by thinking about its opposite. What is the opposite of peace? War. (laughs) War and peace, okay. Anxiety, uh, pressure, frustration, um, worry. That's uh, another word for anxiety. Uh, We have all this kind of turmoil going on. And in the midst of turmoil and difficulties and stressors, and problems, it is challenging to be thankful, is it not? Aren't we inclined rather to focus on the pressing issues that distract our attention? Isn't that where we are? What are you thinking, Todd? (laughs) Peace is when no bad things are happening. Really? Okay. Listen to me for a little bit, then I'll come back and see if you agree. But... But I think you got a point. You're there inside anyway. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'll get my whistle wet here and I'll be able to talk a little better. It's interesting that Paul puts this in the passive voice. Let the peace of Christ rule. This is not a commandment for us to go out and do something. This is an encouragement for us to allow something to happen that is already available. Let the peace of Christ rule. And I want to take you back to John's Gospel, chapter 14, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples in that last conversation, discourse that he had with them his last evening before the crucifixion. And as you go back to that passage of Scripture in John, um, Jesus says, beginning in verse 25, John fourteen twenty-five, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He's giving them last words. They're very important. And already he's in essence saying to them, don't worry about trying to remember all of this. I'm going to give you my spirit. When he comes, he will bring these words back to your remembrance. We know that he did because John wrote them all down. And I don't think he was taking notes at the Last Supper. 
but we have them here. And then in the next breath, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. Jesus is saying to them, really, I'm never going to leave you. You're never going to be alone. After this moment, you will never be without me. I'm going to the Father, but my Holy Spirit, who has been in me, is going to be in you, and I'm going to leave him, and he's going to be your guide, your comforter, your rememberer. He's going to be your helper, your strength, your constant source of my presence in your life, and I am going to give you my peace, not the kind the world gives. I'm going to give you the peace that I have had. I wonder, when you think about that, if the disciples didn't do a quick rewind and think back over the last few years that they had spent with Jesus. What is this peace that he's offering that is not like the world? In fact, it's a peace that is different than than anything they've ever seen before. I wonder if one of them didn't think about that time in the boat when the storm was raging. You remember that situation? You know, they're out on the lake, the storm has come up, the waves are crashing over the, the sides of the boat. The, these experienced sailors think they're going to sink. The ship's going down, the wind is howling, the sails are torn. And Jesus is asleep. How strange. And they shake him awake and say, Lord, we're, we're perishing. You, know, you ever feel that way? Somebody's asleep at the wrong time? <laughs> Wake up! We're perishing. You know, and, and in my mind's eye, I like to see Jesus kind of... Oh, well, I see there is some trouble here. Be still. And and the waves stop and the wind stops. And the scripture says the disciples just kind of looked at one another and said, What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Wow. I wonder if one of them thought about that. I'm going to give you my peace. I can sleep through the storm until you wake me up. I wonder about the time when they brought the woman to him that was taken in adultery. And, and boy, what a dilemma. I mean, they want to stone her. Okay? Public execution by stoning right on the spot. How did they find her in the very act of adultery? Did you ever wonder about that? There's a setup going on here. And Jesus is being cornered. The real issue is not this lady whom those fellows knew. 
That's not the problem. The problem is she's being used as bait to set him up in order to deface him in front of the multitude, the crowds, and make him look like a lawbreaker. And they think they've got him. Have you ever been in the horns of a dilemma like that? There's a life hanging in the balance on your answer. And Jesus just stoops down and starts drawing in the sand with his finger. You know, and then when he stands up and he looks around and he says, Well, tell you what. The law says, Stoner, you're right. Why don't the one of you in the group here that's never sinned, you, you throw the first one. And then he goes back to writing in the ground. Would you love to have peace and wisdom like that? I mean, it's just amazing. The stones hit the ground, all right, as they dropped them and slithered away. Scripture tells us that eventually Jesus was left facing the woman. And he looked at her and said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Or the time when the crowd was going to gather to kind of force him off a cliff, and Jesus kind of walked through them and just (laughs) disappeared, you know. I wonder if they had those thoughts in their mind when Jesus said, I will give you my peace. It's a peace that faces life's great dilemmas. It's a peace that faces life's storms. It's a peace that endures no matter what the trouble. I'm going to give you my peace. And I'm going to bequeath it to you. That's literally what he said when he said, Peace I leave with you. If you look at the original language there, it, it's, that's kind of like a pressing it out upon them. My peace I give you. So when Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Let the peace of Christ rule. What he's telling us is the peace of Christ is here right now in the body. He dwells among us by His Spirit and His peace is pressing in from every side. And if we are not experiencing His peace, it's because we're resisting. The opposite of let is to resist. We're resisting it. And Paul says, let it it in. Let the peace in. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You can live in the realm of His peace. It is available to you. Now, I realize when I say that, that some of you already have a problem with me. Because you say, that sounds simple, and my life is not simple. And I struggle with this. I I have conflicts here, and I'm not quite sure how to do that. And I want to, to remind us this morning the Scripture that says, Let God be true, though every man be a liar. That the Word of God is true. And God is faithful to His Word. And when we are told things like this, God is not without feeling or sensitivity as to the difficulties it may present us, but the Christian life is not a life that is based primarily on feelings, but a life that is based on faith. 
And the faith is a choice we make based on the Word of God. And I find that when I'm challenged in a way that my emotions keep overriding my faith, and I've had that experience, you know, do you ever try to stop worrying about something? I mean, you should try to focus on not worrying. Unfortunately, it makes you focus on the thing you're worrying about. So it just, that's, that's a downward spiral. But it can be a challenge. And or try to forgive someone who's wounded you, and you make the choice to forgive, and then all those feelings come up again. And I'm here to tell you that the Word of God calls us to obedience, to make a choice, to go back to God however many times it takes, and say, Lord, I choose to receive your peace. I choose that. That's what I want. Or I choose to forgive, or whatever it is. And we go back again and again to the throne, and we make the choice. And God is pleased with that kind of faith. And eventually the trial gives way to the flooding peace of Christ. Sometimes I find that I just have to sit in a quiet place and take a deep breath and kind of slow everything down and just release it to God again and again until the peace of Christ comes. Set your mind on things above. Okay, Lord, I choose to do that. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay, Lord, I choose to do that until His peace comes. Because with the peace and the absence of anxiety, then we are free to experience the thankfulness. As he says in the passage, let the peace of Christ rule into your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Sometimes we just have to stop and look around and pick out the things that we're thankful for. We need to make a list. We need to go over that and and focus in our environment on what are the blessings So, the first counsel that Paul gives is, allow the peace of Christ to reign in that peace of God that comes into the midst of our difficulties. Focus on the blessings. I'm not trying to give you mental games here to ignore the reality of life around us. But what I am trying to do, biblically speaking, is to bring perspective. And we need that perspective. We need the heavenly perspective. That's what the second verse tells us, verse 16 of Colossians 3, when he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. 
I think it was Matthew Henry that said, many Christians have the word of Christ in their mind. But we are not being called to be scholars here or professors. We are called to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly with wisdom. And that implies application, obedience, experience, that we're letting the Word of God actually have an impact in our lives as we embrace it by faith and put it into practice. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly. Another way of saying that is simply to say that we are being encouraged here to have a biblical worldview. I know that phrase has probably been overworn, but it certainly hasn't been uh, over-practiced. A biblical worldview is a view of the world that interprets the things around us according to the truth of God. I started to hold up my Bible and <laughs> I have my iPad this morning, so that uh, sort of defeats the, the visual illustration a little bit, but it's all in there. But the Word of God is the authoritative commentary on the planet. There are issues facing us. There are difficulties. The people in New York, as I was reminded this week in a newsletter that I got from the president of our denomination, a number of our churches were uh, profoundly affected by Hurricane Sandy. Many people within our Christian Missionary Alliance family uh, have difficulties in their homes or they don't even are not even able to occupy their homes. And as he put it, it's kind of um, passed off of the national limelight and we're on to something else. But the people that are living there are still trying to recover from this event. And some of them are not going to do so for a very long time. There are believers in other parts of the world that are challenged by even bigger problems. They don't even have a house to destroy. They don't have a job to lose. They're facing all kind of economic challenges. They are truly destitute and poverty stricken. And there are troubles among God's people. There are believers in China languishing in prison because they refuse to deny the name of Jesus Christ. And they insist on proclaiming freely the truth of the gospel. And they're suffering hard labor prison sentences as a consequence. There are other believers in the Middle East who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and have paid for that with their life because they have been martyred in our day for their faith in Christ. The Christian life is not a trouble-free life. Jesus, in this same talk I was referring to on the last night that he was with his disciples, says, in this world you're going to have tribulation. And friends, we need a divine perspective on that. We need to see it the way God sees it. David in Psalm 37 
is talking to himself. When you, when you open the psalm, he's having a conversation. David talks to himself a lot, by the way, if you haven't noticed that. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. He, he goes on to uh, conversations like that inside. And in Psalm 37, it's kind of a similar conversation. He says, stop worrying, self. Stop fretting. Don't get overwrought about evildoers and the ungodly people. Hope in God. Trust in God. And then as he's kind of reflecting on life, he says, I, I looked at the ungodly, the, the, the rich and ungodly people. Now, those don't always go together, but many times they do. He says, I was looking at that. And he says, I saw this, this ungodly person Flourishing like a like a mighty tree, and and its limbs spread out, and and its branches grew up, and the the tree began to to loom large on my horizon. How long does it take to grow a tree? Long time, doesn't it? Long time. We we have an ornamental pear tree in our front yard by the driveway, and. Rowena was so pleased when she uh, discovered that tree and it was planted and, you know, and it was uh, not very big and it's turning out to be a beautiful thing. It's just like perfectly shaped and it has those great blossoms certain times of the year and it was rich color this fall and it's a neat tree, but it's, it's beginning to grow and it's going to keep growing and keep growing for a long time, decades David says the ungodly many times are like that. They flourish for decades. They're wicked, they're evil, they're sinister, they're undermining. You think that they get caught for their uh, terrible deeds and they get away with them. And then he said, I looked one day and where'd the tree go? gone. They were no more. It just disappeared. Because one day, it will come to an end. The fellow that had the bountiful harvest and said, wow, you've really done well. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to fill them up. I'm going to enjoy all this wealth. Soul, Take thine ease, the King James says. <laughs> You've done well. Just kick back and enjoy your profits. And Jesus said that God said to him, You fool, this night your soul was required of you. And then he turned to the disciples and he said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? If the Word of God doesn't do anything else. What it does is it brings truth perspective to life. It tells us what is truly important and what is not. It reminds us of the true blessings and encourages us to endure affliction that Paul says is very real 
As he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm pressed from every side. I've got all this struggle going on inside of me and around me. And uh, I've had sleepless nights and shipwrecks and all kinds of difficulties. And then he says, but I am persuaded that these momentary afflictions are not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory. Perspective. This too shall pass. Whatever you're going through this morning, it may seem like it's been going on forever, and it may seem like it's never going to end. But this too shall pass. Perspective. And Jesus really put it into sharp focus when he said, don't worry about those people that can kill your body. That's not the biggest problem in life. To us, that looks like a pretty big problem. He says, don't worry about that. Worry about the one who can cast your body and soul into hell. In other words, God is the one you need to think about. And we have peace with God through the gospel. The most encouraging word in all of Scripture is that sin has been defeated Death has been conquered. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We have eternal life through the gospel. Peace with God. We're not only going to go on forever in a place much greater than this, but we're going to go on with loved ones and friends and family in Christ who are going to share that eternity with us. And these trials, as Paul put it, are just momentary. And so he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You need divine perspective. You need to see the world the way God sees the world. You need to get his viewpoint. It comes through his word. When you see the world the way God sees the world, and you have that heavenly perspective He says, then you're in a place where you can sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord with thankfulness. Because you're able to gain the perspective that brings the joy in the midst of difficulties. And finally, he says in the last verse, verse 17, And whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in word or deed, giving thanks to Him, to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed. He says, make sure you're operating in the Spirit. Word or deed pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? What else can you do? You can think. I'm glad that thinking is not considered necessarily an action in Scripture. I'm thankful that I'm not responsible for everything that goes through my brain. <laughs> That's a relief in and of itself. <laughs> you know, that I can uh, can just lift that before the Lord. And, but if I start talking or I start acting out, now I'm taking action. And Paul says, let everything you do in word or deed be done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that focus, the vertical, up there. 
and through him give thanks to God the Father. The Ephesians uh, 5 passage is actually a parallel to this. In fact, Ephesians and Colossians share a lot of similarities. And in Ephesians uh, 5, uh, 17, Paul says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is Ephesians 5, 17. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's interesting to me how Paul keeps linking singing and thankfulness together. Do you have the habit of singing? Do you have the habit of humming to yourself? Do you have the habit of singing when you're driving? Or maybe you're self-conscious about your voice and you don't like to sing around other people, but do you sing to yourself when no one's listening? Are you singing to the Lord? It's, it is interesting how, how much Paul puts those together. Ephesians <coughs> verse 20 uh, says something that is pretty challenging to think about. Always giving thanks for all things. For all things. The word for there is not uh, necessarily a word that means for the thing itself, but it's a word that means like a covering, like a like a, an umbrella. Huper means to, to be over everything. Paul is not telling us that we should be thankful for sin, for example. There's just nothing good about sin. There's nothing good about sinful behavior. It's hard to be thankful for sinful action. And it's hard to be thankful for tragedy. And, and it's hard to be thankful for those major upsets in life that really are evil at their heart. But in the midst of those, Paul is saying our attitude should be a covering of gratitude even over those things. Because God is always there in the midst. He's always present. I think about Mary and Martha who had called for Jesus when Lazarus was deathly ill. They sent a word and said, Jesus, we need you to come. Our brother is really, really sick. Imagine the hopefulness they must have had in their heart when they sent that message out. We've seen him heal. We know he can do it. We'll bring Jesus here. And he didn't come. And then Lazarus died. And they had to bury him. And they wrapped him up and they put him in a 
cave grave and they put a stone over it. And then Jesus shows up. And they're not happy. I mean, you read the text in John 11, they're not happy with him. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You're late at a time when we needed you most in our lives. You stood us up. We don't know what you had going on, but we can't imagine anything that could have been more important. How many times have we had you in our home? How close have we been to you? We're we're your true friends. And in our crisis, you did not come. I mean, that's all there in the passage. And Jesus begins to probe them about who he is. Who do you think I am? What is your confidence in me? And they go to the place where Lazarus has been buried. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Oh, we know he's going to come again in the last day. No, no. Take me to where he is. I am the resurrection and the life. He speaks to Lazarus, who is not ceased to exist. Lazarus is somewhere out there living in another place. And he speaks to him and says, come out of that grave. And Lazarus comes back into that body and comes out to the front of the tomb And Mary and Martha learned something about God that they never would have seen any other way. That he is triumphant even over death. That we never really die. We go on living somewhere else. That the Master can speak and we can come out of the tombs. And they see a vision of God that is incredible. Friends, what I'm saying to you is that we may be in a desperate strait and we may be facing difficulties and we may wonder where God is. But whatever we're in, if we are His children, He is fully aware of our situation. In the midst of it, there is cause yet for thanksgiving. God is still on His throne. And He will meet us in ways that we never dreamed possible if we open our lives to Him. So often, friends, the difference between navigating through the deep waters of life and and coming out on the other side even more whole and and better than before and, and drowning in the bitterness and the frustration is simply whether we're looking to Christ or not. Where our focus is. And so he says to us, in every situation, in every circumstance, look for the blessing, look for the opportunity to praise and give thanks to God. Now, I started out by saying to you that 
The difference between a preacher and a pastor is that the pastor preaches to a specific group of people whom he knows and who have difficulties in their life he's aware of. I know that many of you are facing some trials. And I would never want to tease you with something that is not possible. It would be cruel. I don't want to be trivial this morning. I want to offer you the hope that is in Jesus Christ that comes with a perspective of thankfulness as we get Him in the right place and we get our eyes on Him and then we see life from His perspective and we express our gratitude. The Scripture says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Probably many of your groups are not going to be meeting this week because it's Thanksgiving week. And so instead of a bunch of questions on your study guide this morning, I just put down 30 numbers. And I want to give you a challenge. I'd like you to take this home this week. And I would like you to try to come up with 30 things that you're thankful for. You know what a few words mean, stand for. So you don't have to write whole paragraphs here. Just write a word or two that you'll recognize. Ah, I'm thankful for this. Write 30 things that you're thankful for. And uh, see if you can do that by Thursday. And... uh, If your family's amenable to it, you might even suggest that uh, you share some of those things at the Thanksgiving table, the things that you are thankful for. The Scripture encourages us because we have God. The Scripture encourages us to deliberately focus on things for which we are grateful and to give Him thanks. And I want to encourage you to do that and see what God will do in your situation, no matter what it is, that He doesn't meet you and come to you in a way that may be totally different than anything you expected. Our God is faithful. His Word is true. And the encouragement is to us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, uh, singing and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God our Father. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Encourage us this morning. Teach us to be a grateful people who are truly filled with praise because, as someone reminded me walking out of the 8 o'clock this morning, no matter how bad this life gets,
it will never be worse for us. We have a glorious, glorious future stored up in Jesus Christ. And for the unbeliever, without Christ, this is the best they'll ever have. No matter how bad it, good it is. But we have hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us your perspective on our lives and on the world. In Jesus' name, amen.